Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Rachel Krauss. We recorded this a couple weeks ago in their home in Kansas City, Missouri. Before we get started, I just want to remind my banjo-playing listeners and my listeners who are aspirational banjoists that I have an instructional video series over at pitchforkbanjo.com, and I teach online and in-person lessons. It's actually easier than ever to schedule a lesson with me now. Just go to camerondewitt.com slash banjo lessons and pick a time. All that's linked in the show notes. Let's play some banjo. Stick around afterwards to hear how to keep up with Rachel Krauss, but first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Pretty tune. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> Rachel Krauss, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you for having me, Cameron. Thanks for driving me around <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for actually hanging out with me around this interview. I like that a lot because I'm at a conference right now and like people have schedules that they need to stick to and very limited little windows and it's nice to actually have like a like a non-networking kind of interaction because this is like why I do the show anyway I just want to hang out with you well I'm happy to provide that mm-hmm. that that refuge yeah. for you yeah I think you've broken my momentum though it's going to be hard to go back what was that tune? that was Lee Stoneking, Sally Johnson um, it's from that Field Recorders Collective album that Brad Leftwich hmm. and Linda Higginbotham produced, recorded. Lee Stone King is a Missouri fiddler. He is. I meant that as a question. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted, I wasn't telling you. <laughs> um, because this is something you know a lot more about than I do. And uh, my impression of like Missouri fiddle tunes is that. They're kind of typically pretty dance-oriented, and they're fairly square in their structure, is my impression of them. Many of them. Many of them. Yeah. This one is not. Right. Yeah. What's What's up with that? Is that co- Is that more common than I than I was aware of? Um. The like A A. Yeah. B C B. Is that what it was? 
yes. in the structure. Yeah. yeah. Um, like three part tunes and crooked tunes show up in Missouri fiddling, but they're not they're not as as common. Yeah. Do you um, do you have an idea? I'm, of... I'm trying to think of like any other like three part Missouri fiddle tunes that I know. I mean, like there are there are some like waltzes that. It'll sure. be like a waltz, and then like a two-step in the middle, and then a waltz oh, in the end. So, interesting. So they were like doing like weird things. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> Are we doing any of those today? Or doing waltz two It steps? wasn't on my list, but we could. Okay, let's there's, maybe there's, leave there's, it. There's, there's this waltz from Lonnie Robertson uh, called Hazy Hills Waltz. Yeah. Um, that was named after the motel he co-owned with his wife. Okay. The Hazy Hills Motel. Cool. And it's a like it's a waltz, so then goes into a two-step. And it unwaltzes. Well, then it like yeah goes back to being a waltz. And, I love that. And there is like a um, people play that tune. And there's like a specific like dance then to that tune. People yeah. hear it and know like oh, take the hills waltz. <sighs> this is what I wanted in this interview. <laughs> My brain is is growing. Uh, yeah, because like every time I've like played with like Missouri, uh, fiddlers. Um, I generally feel like, like, Oh, I'm supposed to be doing these rules that I don't fully understand. And I'm also coming on it, you know, with the banjo and it's like, that's already like playing Klaheimer banjo is like, isn't necessarily like, uh, doesn't have a specific home in this music, you know, but then like, even if I'm playing guitar, it's like, where in the beat am I supposed to go? And then it has to fit into the square. And I'm supposed to do these specific chords in these specific spots. And I feel like this is already an experience of like, I don't think I could, I, or I should Missouri rules that tune or maybe I think, he, I think he would, you still would. I think he would. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Or like whatever, like slight variation of Missouri. Right. There might be. Yeah, I don't know all of the amendments. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I, I get the impression that there are There's some. There's a whole process to bring it to the yeah. Missouri Fiddling Court to get an amendment added. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was cool to have, yeah, have a tune that felt like it was um, pent- pentagonal, I guess, <laughs> in shape. That I'll, was new to I'll me. I'll keep trying to think of like other. Yeah. That doesn't have to be the narrative of this interview, but yeah, I want to know the, like the hidden repressed Missouri fiddle tunes that don't get it. I mean, Lee Stunking is kind of an interesting, like both he and his son, Fred Stunking, which I feel like people know Fred Fred. Stunking more. Because even though, I believe Fred Stunking lived... In Springfield, or like north of Springfield, like in Clinton, Missouri, for much of his life, which is like Springfield, Missouri, is kind of like Ozarks, okay, ish. It's kind of like when it first starts. Um, but I, I feel like the Stone Kings kind of played more mid Missouri style yeah. fiddling. Okay, there's like different layers of Missouri fiddling. Okay, what is the layer <laughs> that I have this like? conception of um probably like missouri valley or mid-missouri so okay like like like, like, like uh Cyril Stennett sure and um bob walters yes Mike lamb and then the mid-missouri folks would be like pete mcmahon yeah and now uh, wilson okay um Caitlin mcbain bill driver like but then the Ozarks does have a very strong dance tradition. Yeah. But that's a very different fiddling style than right. mid-Missouri okay. and Missouri Valley. Okay, cool. I like that I asked a question. This is like not a good interview question. Tell me what I'm thinking. <laughs> that's a terrible interview question. You're like, yeah, I think I know. Uh, thanks. Because <laughs> people think of the like driving right. Missouri tunes. Right. And... I could be biased just based on like the tunes that I'm around more because yeah. I'm not really into the like Ozarks fiddling world mm. like Bob Holt. Yeah. Um, he was a like short bow style fiddler yeah. and thought that like you couldn't do this like long bow fiddling at a dance cause you couldn't like have that, like um, that rhythm for the dancers to find right. their beat. 
Uh-huh. But then mid-Missouri and Missouri Valley, it's all about the longbow filling for the most part. Okay, cool. So that's kind of the distinctions there. Yeah. When did you start getting into Missouri music? It's like been a, a winding path. Probably, I probably didn't get into Missouri style fiddling until I met Missouri fiddlers who grew up in the tradition. Yeah. And that was in 2019. Okay. So fa- fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and I'm also like a, like a fairly new fiddler as well. Cause I was playing banjo for like a good chunk before even touching fiddle. Yeah. And you're, I think you were saying before we were interviewing that, um, you started getting into Missouri fiddle or to Missouri music and banjo was your way to access it. And you're like, this isn't <laughs> maybe the way in. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I love playing banjo and for a while I was doing a lot of the like Southeast style Appalachian fiddle tunes on banjo. Yeah. Um, and then once I met, um, John Williams specifically in in Missouri. Um, I went out there and he was playing tunes I had never heard of before, even though I'd been playing banjo for like six years at that point. Um, And so it was like, what are these, what are these tunes and why is, why do they feel so much harder to play on the, Banjo. When <laughs> <laughs> the first time I played with Charlie Walden, I was like, I have a different opinion of myself and my agency on this instrument. Yeah. I don't know if I could possibly keep up with this. Well, and I think yeah. that's like partially a reason why Clawhammer really isn't found on. Yeah. I can't think of Clawhammer banjo on any old Missouri fiddle records. Lena Hughes is a example. Hmm. Um, with Charleston in, but she was doing some like two finger up picking. Okay. I haven't fully been able to like make sense of what she was doing. And mm. I'd be curious if anyone out there has Great. like dug into Lena Hughes playing and like figured out what she's doing and then tried to like replicate it. Cause okay. I have never, uh, Open call. Made sense of, yeah. Right in. I never made Please. sense. <laughs> I want to know. Um, yeah. But when I did, when I went out to play with John um, and was doing Clawhammer, he was so like, oh, this is so amazing. No one's ever like playing mm. like like this and, and doing these tunes on banjo. And so it was kind of like a special Oh, so it was welcome. Treat. Yeah, definitely. Good, lovely. Yeah, huh. yeah. I feel like Clawhammer is, is usually... Welcome in Missouri Fiddle. Okay, cool. Circles. Yeah, it just doesn't make it into the source recordings unless you're yeah. L- Lena Hughes. Lena Hughes. Lena Hughes. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, can we play another tune? And then I want to ask about like how you got into playing trad music. Sure. In general. Um, let's do this Fred Stone King. Tune, okay. Since we're on the Stone King path, um, called Old Grey Goose. I don't think I know this. Didn't see. And I was listening to a recording of him um, playing in the 80s at um, the Bethel Youth Fiddle Camp. And he said that he learned it from some Californ- like some like 18-year-old kid from California. Cool. So, okay. Which is interesting because I feel like whenever people always associate that tune with Fred Stone King. Yeah. And so I don't know what other, where this tune did come from, where this 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what it sounded like when this 18-year-old was playing it. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you. 
that too. <laughs> That's also great. <laughs> I love those Fred Stone King tunes. Uh, I, I've come across a, a, a few do, doing this show, but um, do they often go to, go to that minor? Does he like to go there? Um, I don't know if minors were a, uh, if he had a kink for minors or something, but um, he was a contest, like, like, like a big contest fiddler. Mm. And so he was definitely like putting his own, his own touch on tunes and often kind of like. Is that rewarded in contest fiddling? Specific variations. In, yeah, sure. Um, and probably having tunes that are unique. Right. Because if you're listening to the same kind of tune all day as a judge, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you hear an A minor chord yeah. being implied. But from what I've gathered, Fred Stone King was kind of like an underrated fiddler, um, or at least like not super well-known mm. Versus, like, Pete McMahon, who he was, like, good friends with. Yeah. I feel like people know Pete McMahon more, and I think part of that was that Pete was also, like, competing and playing all over the country. Mm. He had, like, a big RV that he would travel with and compete yeah. in contests, and so... Wow. Um, it's just interesting, like, what fiddlers kind of become, like, more well-known um, over others some somebody said i wish i could credit them someone said on old-time music ship posting um and it's like the like the hard pill to swallow and then it's like it the the pill is uh it's like that meme format and the pill is the only reason we all think that tommy Jarrell was the goat is because he liked to party <laughs> which is basically just like he put himself out there all the time and like gave you know it was like come to my cabin come hang out with me and it's just like he had this like lovely PR campaign of that was, you know, earnest, you know, where he just like put himself out there all the time. And it's like, obviously his like (laughs) credit where credit's due. I think his fiddling is, is, you know, amazing and so important, but also it's, it's interesting to think about how many other fiddlers had really special things going on, but weren't as, uh, free and gregarious, or maybe they didn't want to be found or whatever. I mean, does this, this connect with what we were talking about before before the show? Yes. Was this thing around folk alliance and networking and, uh-huh. and like, being really good at the, like, business side of, of music and, like, yeah. being really extroverted and yeah. maybe having an ego of a certain level? Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I don't know if what you mean but when you say ego, but, like, ego being, like, just sort of like a a resource that you can pull on, you know, or, or maybe you mean it in a derogatory sense. Oh, um, that's interesting. I feel like I often have, I use ego or think of ego as a negative thing, Yeah, but that's my own, like, like be humble, be sure. Like have some humility around who you are and what you're doing. Hmm. Which is why it took also me, important. Which is why it took you so long for me. For, it took me so long to say yes to doing this show. I'm and, so glad you said yes. <laughs> I'm having a great time and hanging I, and, out with and you. And I but. appreciate you continuing to ask me. Yeah. Uh, well, because I have like a certain level of like level of knowledge of the music I'm playing to be able to speak about it in a way that like means it's deemed worthy enough. To, to take up space. Yeah. Versus if I was just like, had a little more uh, gregariousness mm. and was like, oh no, I'm here to like present my, how I play these tunes and present this history and right. I feel very sure in all these things. So maybe like you, I, maybe there's a part of you that maybe more like identifies as like, if you did like a Buzzfeed, like personality quiz about like whether you're Pete Mac, uh, was it McMahon <laughs> yeah. or Fred Stone King, you would maybe be a little bit more on the, on Fred Stone King side, which is like, you have things to offer, but like, you're not necessarily getting in an RV and, uh, <laughs> trying to, I mean, that's like largely a big reason why I also am drawn to Missouri fiddling, mm. West fiddling. And then within that, there's like the sect of like the subset of 
the the Midwest fiddlers that I am drawn to. Right. And it's, it's often the ones that like like Art Galbraith lived in like what like lived in the Ozarks, but like I think he like was more of a longbow fiddler. Yeah. But um was kind of this like uh, I don't know if outsider is the right word, but like not in the same like heavy hitters of Missouri fiddling. Sure. Which is like, I guess I could see why, but like every Art Galbraith recording that I've heard is so gorgeous and so interesting. And it's like, why isn't everyone doing this? So I mean, maybe you... But then people, but there's some Missouri fiddlers that would say that Art Galbraith didn't have the drive. There's no drive. It's delicate. Yeah. Are we getting into gender stuff here? <laughs> is, that, is that where we're going? <laughs> Let's, yeah. What about these sens- sensitive man fiddlers? <laughs> Why? They're getting buried in this <laughs> dance music supremacy and you know, all that stuff. So, so yeah, maybe that's part of the reason why Missouri is interesting to you and pockets within Missouri are interesting to you because maybe they've been buried or obscured a bit by the old time revival sort of uh, fabricated canon of what counts as old time or not. Oh yeah. And, and there's, um, there's even like fiddlers who I've known who would say that like Missouri fiddling is not old time. You know, this phrase (laughs) that means basically nothing (laughs) and could apply to anything. You don't fit in that. (laughs) That's such a weird attitude. I think I I've met those people. Yeah. Why? (laughs) That's so bizarre. Well, There is the question of like the contest at Clifftop. Uh-huh. Which is, what's the official name for Clifftop? The Appalachian... Uh, Appalachian String Band something festival? Yeah. So, something convention? So do Midwest tunes have a place if it's the Appalachian Festival? More, more and more. It's been a little bit more in, in vogue. Right. They, like since, since Steam Machine. Right. I think they did a lot of heavy lifting there. But, you know, but that was like new, you know? I mean, I've heard it being called like the Missouri fiddle scare. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> cool. Okay. So at some point you weren't in this like high context awareness of like deconstructing, like what old time means. And you were just like getting into the music. When did the music at large, the general idea of, old-time folk, you know, string band or fiddle music, things like that, and, or playing banjo specifically. When and why did that happen? So I started playing banjo in uh, 2014 when I was living in Atlanta, uh, and I had Lyme disease. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. That yeah, sucks. It, it was really rough. I got it um, backpacking in North Georgia. And I had it for four months and diagnosed his doctors wouldn't test me for it. And so by the time that I was like on antibiotics, it was like my body did not feel good. Yeah. And I'm a very active person, like biking, swimming, just like, like being outside, moving my body. Yeah. It's like very important to me. And so at that point I was just like so tired um, and like couldn't do these things that like felt good. In my body, and I was listening to, um, like, I've always enjoyed, like, folk music or, like, folk-adjacent sure. music. Like? I, I was, I was um, listening to a lot of, like, The Lowest Pair, actually. Oh, yeah. And, and Kendall Winter's banjo playing, I was, like, so enamored by. Of course. Um, so her, and then... Um, Ferris and Jason Romero, Jason yeah. Romero's banjo playing. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, I'll just like on a whim. Right. Buy this good time banjo. <laughs> Classic. So it sounds like you had these, you know, these two pairs who were like making sort of pop accessible, like yeah. 
f- folky music who also had deep reservoirs of, of, of interest and knowledge and nerdiness around, like, underneath it. Yeah. Of, of traditional music. Yeah, which kind of made it harder to, like, for me to uncover that old-time path, I think, because yeah. it was kind of right. uh, obscured. Um, but I was just teaching myself at that point um, with some, like, books yeah. I got. Um, and, lo- and looking for something to do that wasn't as physically taxing yeah. that could still, like, be stimulating yeah. while you were recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a really, I mean, even though like when you're first getting started with an instrument, it's like, you're not making anything like that's particularly beautiful. Sure. Um, but the act of like being in my body and like making music was really powerful. Um, and like, it's interesting too, because like at that time I kind of had like my mid twenties was kind of like a period of a lot of uh illness and pain mm. so like after i had like six months after i had lyme disease i had cancer oh my god and then a year after that my dad passed away and then a year after that um i kind of had a falling out with my family and yeah. so it was like all these things of like being exhausted recovering from surgeries carrying a lot of grief in my body. Yeah. Um, like having music, making music with my body and like being aware of like what that felt like provided a like small space and like refuge in an area when like by and large, it did not feel good to be in my body. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Uh, and so awful, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, it, something that, like that I try to do in my like lessons is there, there's a certain, certain demographic of people who want to take lessons, who want uh, to play the banjo because they think it's like a magic wand. Um, and then I'm like, you know, we're going to be like talking about your body, like this entire, that's what we're doing here is, you know, and they're like, ah, uh, I actually don't want to think about my body. I want to dissociate and use this magic wand, you know, and it's like, it, it makes me happy to hear about like you act like wanting the banjo to connect with your own body. Cause it's like, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely been hard because like. Um, when your body is in physical pain, it's like, then you also should kind of, you have to like shut off a certain amount of like awareness of your body. Right. And so when you do that, you're also shutting off like the good feelings that are coming as well. Right. And so I feel like it's, even though it like has been like that space for me, um, for a while, it's still like been a process to like actually be able to like feel what it is to be in a body making music. Mm. And I feel like, um, I'd be curious to hear about your experience. Like if this, like how often this comes up like around like body awareness and like being in a body making music. Cause I feel like when that does come up, it's often in the context of just like pain of like, um, like shoulder pain or hearing loss or like all these things where like making music is hard on the body. And so people only feel what it is to make music when they're in physical pain. Yeah. Like it actually feeling like, Oh, like this pull of the bow feels really good. Yeah. Like, yeah. People are always like, like they, they get around the corner from from naming that you know and you could tell that it's happening yeah but not necessarily having like language around it being like that's the the thing that i want yeah you know do you feel like people talk about no that's what i'm saying yeah it's just like yeah people don't talk about their bodies in general yeah uh unless it's your body's getting in the way Mm -hmm. of what they conceive as life what they're you know yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick Garris likes to, in a very tongue in cheek way say, but I think in an earnest way say that like, uh, uh he regards in- instrumentalists 
as dancers with prosthesis. And I thought, I think that's been like really helpful for me, you know, just to like think about why I want to play music. Uh, and it's like, it feels good to use my body in that way. It's deeply pleasurable. And, um, to have, yeah, just to have like a relationship with like my limbs and my fingers and where I can like, they know what to do and I can hold information in other parts of my body than in my brain, uh, like makes me feel, uh, incredible. And I think that's, I think that's why people like playing music a lot too, but maybe they feel like they have to say that it's a, it's specifically about the sonic experience or about the social experience or something. And like, yeah, I think, I don't know. Like would, it becomes this like mastery of technique. Right. Yeah. It's about your social capital, you know, your displays of power or whatever. And, uh, yeah, that can be a little, I think bothersome to me, uh, because all I want is to exist in my own body. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be seen as powerful. I want to be seen as a person who has like, you know, guts or whatever. I I mean, literally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I would have like thought that like maybe there would have been a shift around like body awareness after the, like, as you got into the pandemic, right? Yeah. Of like noticing when you're not sharing a space with someone else in a room and like, um, just having that connection um, together as well as in your body playing music with another person in that room, it feels like that hasn't... Yeah. It becomes just about, like, the social thing, which is, like, an important, totally valid thing. Yeah. And I get a lot out out of it as well in that sphere, too, but... I found myself intentionally being, like... um, maybe gross or provocative in the way that I try to tell, like explain like what it's like to be uh, like to come back from the darker parts of the pandemic, you know, to get vaccinated, to get back out there. It's just like, Oh, it's nice to um, breathe in everyone's particles. (laughs) It's nice to be able to smell the people around me, you know? And it's like, people don't want to think about that, but it's like, that's part of it. I'm trying to like grasp at this. Like it means something that our bodies are close to each other, that our knees are touching. You know, I really, yeah, I'm going to start using, using some of those because <laughs> yeah. it does get at what we're talking about. Yeah. And people, Americans, Americans, Americans are disgusted by yeah. the human body when it's not being sexualized. Yeah. And when it's being sexualized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want, I want to find people that I can connect with about it. And I want that to, I'm so glad you brought this into the, into the discourse because I feel like I, when I feel like people are avoiding talking about it, I want, I, I either, I, I want to like, I feel, uh, adversarial. It's like, why are we talking about our bodies in pleasure oriented ways? Right. Whether it's about playing music or the food that we eat or sexuality or, um, or even just like in intimacy or, or pride which can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different bodies. I don't know. That's cool. And even when it does, when it, when it does come up in the context of like someone talking about some chronic pain that they're yeah. dealing with, I do find like a certain amount of like kinship yeah. with them of like, yes, let's talk about this. Like yeah. music is hard on your body and I want to make sure that I'm taking care of it in a way that I can keep doing it for, yeah. um, as long as I can without like drifting into like ableist territory as well. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which feels kind of, I mean, music is music making is tricky in that way. Right. Cause it's like, we are when there is this, th- this placement of, um, importance on, um, intonation and tone and these things that may be more challenging for people based on how their bodies are made. Yes. Um, it's just a, like, is that the way we should be judging? Yeah. Whether or not music is good or not. Well, 
That's kind of a winding. <laughs> you, you know, this, like, this, there's, you're challenging my interviewing skills because I don't want to stop talking about this with you. But I want to keep talking about this with you. Uh, but we have more tunes to do. And I also want to talk about a bunch of other... I have a, other. I have an agenda of things to ask you about. And uh, so that's my transition. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to keep asking you about this because I deeply care about it. That we should play another tune. Yeah. What do you want to play next? I want to play this Cyril Stennett tune. Okay. In C. Called Old Mother McCarthy. Okay. And there's a really cool recording of him playing with Lena Hughes on banjo, doing her two-finger okay. style. Cool. Accidentally putting non five chords in a lot of that because I forgot what tuning I was in. I hope that's okay. I eventually figured it out. Uh, What a what a sweet tune. I uh, first heard that tune at the Bethel Youth Fiddle Camp. Um, Pete Howard, who lives in I believe Fayetteville, Arkansas, Um, he plays a lot of like really cool. C tunes. He's kind of mm. like people know him as like pulling those great C tunes out. And so I first heard him play that tune at Bethel, mm. and then went back and listened to Cyril's recording. And I've read that Cyril um, got his drive by just like playing constant notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like there isn't a lot of breathing room. Sure, it's all line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the line is really pretty. It's not necessarily does he play it in a driving way in that source um you could dance to it yeah 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 something i really like about old time non-rag c tunes is that because of the fiddle position and the highest note without stretching is that b 
there's this like yawning, like A going up to B, but then never quite going all the way up. And then occasionally providing that, like this tune does that. But you know, you have all of these like riffs that go like, you know, like, you know, like that's so sweet. And uh, none of the other tunes, uh, none of the other keys, like really, really do that. Yeah. And then like, you know, like the, the rags don't really do that because it doesn't serve like some sort of like dominant function in like, it's like not chordy. Yeah. It's like anti-chordy. And I love that about like non-rag C-tunes and it's so hard to find them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that tune too, there's like a certain airiness created on the recording with Lena Hughes's that two finger banjo playing where it's kind of sparse mm. and kind of like helps maybe create a little bit more space. Whereas there's not a lot of space in like the, yeah. the, the fiddle part. I may not have helped with that in my playing. Oh, I, no, no, I'm going to no, go no. listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. So you're, you're working on a, a documentary about this camp. Yes. It's, I can tell you went to journalism school. I'm like self-trained <laughs> and you, you're just like, you chose this tune and but, it brought it up and I knew, and you like set me up to ask you the question <laughs> I, <laughs> behind the curtain. It's like, ah, oh, so good doing my job for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's funny about journalism school is that I didn't take a single like video uh-huh. course, even though like we had so many resources available to uh-huh. us in that space. And so I always kind of kicked myself. Or Was not. it all written? Yeah, there's, like, different specialties or, like, uh, emphasis areas uh, when I was at the University of Missouri, mm. where it was, like, magazine journalism and newspaper journalism and radio journalism sure. and TV journalism, and so you kind of pick a path. So, so I was magazine. Yeah. was my path. And so, tell me about this, this documentary and your experience at Bethel. So the Bethel Youth Fiddle Camp has been going on since um, the mid-80s, um, and it's one of the oldest fiddle camps in the country and one of the only youth fiddle camps. And Bethel, Missouri is an old German utopian colony. Cool. How'd that work out? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, actually they all, um, it it, it, it disbanded and then they moved to Oregon. Okay. And started a new colony there. I should look up what that colony was. was When did they do that? This would have been like the 1880s. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of people who went to Oregon with some very specific ideas of what, in that, during that time of what yeah. utopia means. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious about that. I mean, they were a collective society. So okay. they were all kind of had, like, had shared resources. They okay. had um, like jobs lined up for people there. Where, that sounds where good. Where they'd be like, oh, I'm interested in blacksmith thing yeah. a blacksmith to apprentice with and like cool. get you a job and um everyone gets their shoes at a certain time of the year and, yeah yeah well i mean that sounds great yeah but it's this this tiny town um north kind of northeast of of um moberly missouri so definitely it still feels very isolated in a lot of ways up there. And it's like a, it's like a one, it's like a one, um, a couple blocks long, all, all old buildings from the colony days for the most part. Um, and then kids from around the Midwest come to study Midwest fiddling with master artists for a week. Did I see a video of Niall Wilson on a lawn teaching some kids yes. how to play tie hacker tunes. Yes. This camp. Great. Yes. So awesome. it's like kids from oh, 6 to 18. Um, and what's great about it is they like they're at a point now when the 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 the, the master artists that are teaching now attended the camp when they were kids. And so it's like really showing the success in their model as far as yeah. like cool. these kids are going through and then, you know, 10, 15 years later, they're teaching at the camp. 
Um, and they get 30 minute private lessons with every teacher every day. And so they're getting 12 private lessons on one. Wow. Yeah. With students. That's so great. Um, Charlie Walden was one of the co-founders of the camp. And King. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He, he's been, he was super helpful. Um, when I started working on the documentary and mailed a bunch of hard drives of old, <laughs> old um, yeah. video and audio recordings from the camp that um, a, a lot of them have been uploaded to YouTube, not all of them, but um, definitely I'm at a point of just like sifting through all of these archival um, videos <laughs> while also pairing it with some footage I shot in 2021 at the mm. camp. And so, um, editing takes a very long time and it's frustrating, Yeah. especially when you see like, oh, I should have got this shot uh-huh. or why didn't I hold this longer yeah. or why don't I have this interview? Right. And so trying to like come to terms with it, I will not be able to tell the comprehensive story of what this camp is, Yeah. but maybe it's okay that it's like, this was my experience at the camp and and, and, and to do my best to um, do the camp justice, yeah. I think I feel a certain pressure to, like, um, because I know how important this camp is um, for so many people and want mm. to make sure that, like, I'm doing a good job with how I'm... I don't say, like, telling their story, but being sure. able to capture... Yeah. Um, parts of that camp cool yeah yeah oh well i'm excited to hear more when when it's when it's done or I, I, announced i want to finish it this spring okay That's, cool i keep pushing it back and i want to just great well, well often yeah like we we still have another tune before we do official plugs but maybe we could talk about like real quick now like where how would people hear about it when it is done mm-hmm. how would people make sure that they hear the news yeah I did receive some support from the Missouri Folk Arts Program, which is like the state folk arts agency. And so, um, uh, which I'm very appreciative of Lisa Higgins over there, the director at the Missouri Folk Arts Agency. Um, and so I think when it's completed, um, they will definitely help. They'll help share. Okay, cool. And, 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 that video coming out so people should follow people should them. follow the missouri folk arts program or awesome. me yeah yeah <laughs> or both yes <laughs> you have room in your follow yeah. account great uh and then this is also the program that you've been doing an apprenticeship under right yes so i am studying with john williams um and so it, it's the missouri folk arts traditional arts apprenticeship program yeah and so, like, a lot of state folk arts agencies have these sorts of apprenticeship programs where they provide funding. They pay f- for um, John to, like, give me free lessons, essentially, for six months. Cool. Yeah. And then um, they also do, like, gas reimbursements oh, and awesome. help do, like, a, like a finale um, concert or some sort of, like, conclusion yeah. element. Um, and then I also get a stipend as well. And so it's, amazing. Really, it's like a really amazing program. And there's like blacksmiths and rogue hookers and Indian dancers and amazing. Irish harp, like cool, cool things of these master artist apprentice pairs studying and working together. Uh, yeah. More, I think more <laughs> that that's good government work. <laughs> That's yeah. what it should be doing, you know, <laughs> more, more of it. Right. <laughs> All right. of it. Yeah. That, and I, yeah. and I feel like it's not lost on me. Um, like being in this program that like so many Missouri fiddlers have been involved mm. with. And so it feels like a special thing to be part of this lineage. Yeah. Um, and John himself, he apprenticed under Pete McMahon. Mm. Um, in the same program? In the same program. Oh my God. Yeah. Amazing. And John's been a master artist four, four or five times. Yeah. Um, it sounds, it sounds yeah. like this program has also proved its model mm-hmm. then if it's, 
creating yeah. new teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and my, back to Fred Stone King, my pathway to him was through Jordan Wax from Mon Pignon. Yeah. Jordan Wax studied with ah, Fred Stone King. Great. And so there's all these like musicians that are out there that like have been involved in this. Yeah. In this program. And, and sometimes it can be really helpful to disseminate that knowledge and wisdom with like a little bit of, a little bit of gas reimbursement. Yeah. To make sure that it happens. Right. Yeah. And that like the, the normal course of life doesn't get in the way, just like a little bit of structure and, and a lot of support. Yeah. I mean, cause, cause John lives two and a half hours away yeah. from me. And yeah. so having that extra support makes it much, it's less of a thing to like do that drive. Yeah. And, and I know other people that's important as well, especially with the different like rural pairs as well, who are traveling long distances to, yeah. to do this. I think it just makes it mm. more accessible to more people. Cool. When are you, when are you doing it? So I started in November yeah. um, and it goes through May. And so we have to do 40 hours of um, lesson time together. Yeah. And so we've been doing, um, Zoom lessons mostly so far, yeah. And then we're going to start doing some in-person visits next month. So you're doing both. You're 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 trying to finish this film and get ready for this like final thing at the same time. Yeah. Same timeline. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But it's been really it's been really good to have that that structure of like, because how we're doing it is we're doing a different fiddler every month, and so mm. we had like Niall Wilson month and Lonnie Robertson month. Next month is Pete McMahon month. Mm. And so being able to like spend time with those, those, those fiddlers and those recordings and then, um, yeah, just nice to have some direction wherein it feels like it can feel like you move in an aimless direction when you want to just like play fiddle music. Yeah. I want to do Niall Wilson month. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> we can all do that Niall Wilson month together. Yeah. Well, what do you want to play next? Oh, it's perfect. I want to do the tune I got from John that he got from Pete McMahon. That's Johnny Don't Come Home Drunk. Yeah. And there was a version that I think is popular in like the Appalachian circles. That's Johnny Don't Get Drunk. Right. So there's a difference between getting drunk and coming home. Sure. Drunk. You can get drunk. Sober up before you come yeah. home, please. But there's a couple like Missouri tunes that I found Midwest fiddlers get really cranky about that they feel have been watered down uh-huh. by people, which I'm not like by about to like people. enter that that that, 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 that sure. debate. But um, Gilsaw is one. Okay. Well, sometimes crankiness serves a purpose. Yeah. Because sometimes you want the. You want the bonded tune. I, 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 I get cranky about plenty of tunes. Yeah. yeah. And, and things in life. So. Yeah. <laughs> Good faith crankiness. Yeah. I think. <laughs> well, yeah. Show me how to play it. Okay. it. What key is this in? We're in D. Great. Yes.
is quite different from the one that I've heard out and about. Mm -hmm. Which one do you like better? I mean, I like I like this one more. <laughs> I think this one's better. I'll play the other one. I don't want to be because it's cool to like. It's fine to get drunk, but don't come home drunk. There's a certain amount of like. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's you can do more. there's a permissiveness. It's like a, a personal boundary as opposed to a boundary as opposed to control than someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Healthy. Ish. <laughs> In comparison. It's more of a worrying about your own your own needs and your right. own boundaries. Yeah. And that's controlling someone else. And I feel like that's represented <laughs> in, in the two. You can hear the difference, definitely. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the, the big difference is like when I when I've when I've heard the more festivalized version of the uh -huh. tune, um, uh, it feels like it's more just sort of simply pentatonic. And this one is like really getting, um, the, these, these notes. There's like a lot of that in there, which is like nice. Yeah. Okay. We have time for one more. Okay. People should follow the Missouri folk art. Well, follow the Missouri folk arts program. Program. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're on Instagram and on their Facebook. Instagram. Great. Yeah. Uh, and then follow follow you. Follow me. As well. I'm uh, Sour, Sour Kraus. Kraus. <laughs> so underscore Sour period Kraus. Yeah, cool. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, yeah. And also, if anyone is in the Kansas or Missouri region, yeah. I'm organizing a dance that I'm wanting to make a regular thing. Yeah. Um, the first one is February 25th. Um, I'm playing with Trisha Spencer, Howard Rains, and uh, Isaiah Sibby, who's Howard's son. And it's called the Oddball Hoedown. So that's at Oddball Casimo. Correct. Good. For all sorts of... Or, and those who aren't even nearby should also follow yeah. just to see what sorts of goofy dancings. I'm sending... I'm, I'm posting a lot of, like, outfit inspiration. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> under that account yeah like, okay i gotta like, follow great because there was i sent out a question around like what do people have questions about so yeah your questions and someone asked what do we wear to the level hoedown and so mm -hmm. i was pulling together some different outfits have you seen this photo of johnny cash wearing above knee leather boots oh no <laughs> <laughs> they might be waiters or yeah, waiters. Amazing. But they also might be leather boots. There's something <laughs> about that man. <laughs> he's, he's hiding something. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. So that would be welcome at the Oddball Hoedown. I would love to see some over-the-knee leather boots. Yeah. Great. So if you are an Oddball or you suspect that you have an inner Oddball waiting for the appropriate... Uh, environment to hoe down in. Yes. This would be it. And if you're in the general area. Yes. Within uh, within traveling distance. Yeah. Great. Cool. I wish I could come. Maybe I will at some point. Maybe there'll be a traveling oddball hoe down. Uh, maybe oddball hoe down coming be. to a town, <laughs> town near you. <laughs> okay. Thanks for doing this, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cameron, thank you um, for continuing to ask me. Yeah, yeah. very respectfully. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, on the record. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's always like a, I have like a, there's always a vibe check um, where I'm just like, I think, are we nearing the I don't ask anymore? Or is, should I keep asking? And I'm glad that we made it happen. Yeah, yeah. likewise. Uh, what do you want to play for our final tune? I want to end with a waltz. Yeah. In a uh, true Missouri dance Great. tradition. Um, it's called the Red Fox Waltz. But I got it from John Williams. Um, and he got it from uh, Taylor McVeigh, who okay. was a fiddler in, in Missouri. And I think Red Fox Waltz was a waltz that was like played out and about. Um, but Taylor had a really nice touch to it and John also had a nice touch and I 
Um, also heard a recording recently of Taylor, I think at Bethel, talking about um, the importance of putting your own lick on a tune. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just putting yourself down. Oh. I really liked. Ah. I really liked that. I I want to go to this camp. I want to be a Bethel <laughs> That's so great. I love that. Okay. So you do you have. Do you have your own lick for this? Probably. Okay. I hope. I hope so. Yeah. I hope Good. I do. Um, it's in D too. Good. Uh, can I play guitar on this then? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like doing guitar on the Yes. Yeah. Follow Rachel Krause, The Oddball Hoedown, and the Missouri Folk Arts Program on Instagram. I included links to all that in the show notes, as well as links to the Missouri Folk Arts Program website and Facebook page. That way you'll be the first to hear when Rachel's documentary is announced and when her folk dance, The Oddball Hoedown, is taking place next. The first one is next Saturday, February the 25th in Kansas City. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. That's also linked in the show notes, along with links to my banjo lessons, my band, my other podcast, and Get Up In The Cool merch. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.